Look, I understand. If you ain't smoking weed because you got a good job, then by all means make your paper, boo-boo. But if you ain't got no job and you not smoking weed, I don't know what the f you are doing with your life. I really don't. I really don't. Don't give me that shit about it's a drug. It ain't no mother drug. I done done the research. It's just a plant. It just grow like that. And if you should happen to set it on fire... Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps of the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. Now, this episode, we're going to be talking about our thoughts on the cryptocurrency industry. So, where we're at uh, and how we're thinking has changed over the last two years. Yeah, and that was triggered by, I listened to the first episode of the show. Um, Salt and Pepper Crypto? Interesting episode. I would say great episode, but interesting episode. Listening to what we were saying then and what we're saying now, I was like, we really need to do a comparison. Um, mm. Mm. What else are we talking about? Uh, we're going to be covering a bunch of things that have been going on in the future tech world in the last few weeks too so some of the trends some of the developments yeah some interesting stuff that's been going on with bitcoin really cool uh bit of news from nike uh so let's jump into it for full disclosure this podcast is not investment or any other type of advice we're not saying you should buy anything at all so we're both personally invested in different shares funds cryptocurrencies and other things some of which we do talk about on the show But if we talk about it, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So, as always, do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most importantly, avoid the fear of missing out. So, what have you been up to the last fortnight? Um, Well, at the moment, I am uh, stumbling around the house like an old man because uh, (laughs) (laughs) the the workout plan I've been on at the gym, um, it just hit like uh, D-Day, essentially, like the last couple of weeks, which just... Ramp the intensity right up, and uh, yeah, I can like I can barely bend my back at the moment. I'm just that sore. I mean, it's a good, good, you know, it's like a good hurt, like hurt so good. Um, it'll be it'll be fine. Just got to get through it. Um, wow. So yeah, that's that's been fun. Um, I've also been working on a uh, top super secret project, which. Um, this sounds hope- super exciting, <laughs> but also anonymous. I yeah. wish. I could find out more, but yeah, it's 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 very under lock and key at the moment. Um, I hate to tease, but uh, yeah, just excited. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, I'll be able to share more about it in the new year. Um, mm. I don't think we got to talk about it before then, but um, yeah, some really really cool future techy interesting stuff. That's all yeah. I can really say about. What have you been doing as a result of that? Uh, so yeah, I've been um, uh, reading a massive amount of legislation regulations. Code. Um, what we're doing is covering it. Uh, it covers a number of different uh, industries, I guess you'd say, different and uh, in, in some very highly regulated areas. So, um, mate, a lot of late nights. I've got my own personal wiki, which I've been kind wow. of just, you know, gradually uh, using to keep track of all my research. And then, obviously, there's applications and um, you know legal agreements and all sorts of things involved. So it's um it's been 
a lot of work. It's humbled me <laughs> a lot. Um, uh, just with how little I actually knew about a lot of this. Um, huh. But um, actually, such a mystery. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the one thing to say is, uh, yeah, Bookstack, which I think we covered um, uh, a few weeks ago in our like self-host your life um, yeah. segment. That's been invaluable. Uh, just wow. with um, like that's a, kind of like the self-hosted wiki that I've been yeah. using, and um, yeah, mate, it's it it's actually been really really good using that. Help me, help me really organize my thoughts, and and when I when I want to go back and oh, what did that one section of the legislation say that I don't I can't find? I can go back to the wiki that I've been adding things to, and Bookstack makes it really easy. So uh, and the very fact very it's big props. Self-hosted means that. You're the only one who has access to that, and you can keep it under lock and key. Completely, yeah. No, it's it's um, it, I, it's all hosted by me. You can host it on your own computer if you want, uh, and just give access to the people that you actually want to have um, in there with you. But yeah, great. I can't can't talk highly enough about it. It's uh, it's been really really good. Wow. Have you been reading anything in your travels? Um, yeah, I've been reading a, uh, a little book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things mm. uh, by Ben Horowitz, which, which is um, uh, it's all about his journey in startups, essentially, and, and as a CEO. And uh, Alex Svetsky, when we interviewed him, I think about seven episodes ago, uh, said that was the book that he reads every single year without fail. Wow. Um, so I finally got around to reading it, and it's, it's great. Really, really good. Wow, that was a great episode. It's an awesome book as well. Ben just, he was on the front lines of startups back in the early days and now he's a big investor, but it gives some really fantastic lessons. So that book can save you a lot mm. of yeah, effort, I guess. Cool. Mm. And what have you been up to? Oh, I've been I've been doing a lot of reading and consuming stuff the last couple of weeks. I've been reading the Gulag Archipelago, which is wow, which is that was one of the books that was credited with the downfall of the Soviet Union. Um, mm. Written by a guy who'd been in the Gulags, he knew a bunch of people there, and he was you know I've only got an early way through, and there's an, a podcast audio version of it, which somebody's just reading out, and it's free to listen to. But this is a terrifying book. It's, it's, it's more of a psychology book than a history book because it talks about what happens when you have the power to decide who gets arrested. You know, let's say mm. you're the mayor of some town and you, you know, want to you know, go out with some girl, but her dad doesn't want you to go out with her. You could just get the dad sent away to prison for a ridiculous amount of time. Wow. Like, the amazing things that, like not the amazing, the terrifying power that comes with power. Um all about the torture systems, the arrests, the uh, the gulag systems, and I'm only very early on, but it's it's terrifying because it's both reality and it has the potential to happen again, which is even scarier. But uh, yeah. so, so I've been listening to that awful re- listening, but uh, yeah, re- we've got the link in the show notes to that. Also, been listening to Hardcore History on World War One, Hardcore History by Dan Carlin, which gives a really interesting. Um, set of stories on World War One. You know the leading, the events leading up to it. Some of the things that happened. You know, talking about the fact that war totally changed. So the Germans were all in grey uniforms, a hundred meters away. You couldn't see them. Whereas the French mm. came into it with their blue tunics and red trousers. You know, just like Napoleon's oh, days. Is this is this the five part series that he did? Uh, yeah. Like a year or two ago. I yeah. Oh, that so, was yeah. that was so well done, mate. I remember listening to that um, driving to him from work and other things and. Um, he got he was he went so in depth in so many different areas that I hadn't even heard anyone talk about before, and that yeah that was something that really amazed me as well was just how uh, 
different the two militaries were at the beginning of that war. Terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. Now, to switch this to a completely different note of what I've been up to the last couple of weeks, I've been meeting up with a guy called Aaron Spare. Um, Spare. Aaron, I'm so sorry I've got your name wrong. I uh, can't pronounce your surname. Um, clarification would be great. Uh, but he's a, um, he's a coach consultant that helps people who are in professional services firms who are going from being senior you know, accountants or lawyers or, um, or professional services specialists to going into the partner level. And now if you're asked to become a partner, all of a sudden you have to start bringing in sales. And this is what Aaron helps these people with. He is an absolute gun. He helps people who are really technically brilliant to actually start making sales and getting into that that area of things. Now, I've been meeting up with him and he's I'm paying him no money, but he is one of the most brilliant people. He has this amazing email list. He sends an email once every day. Now, if you're in professional services, I fully recommend check out Aaron Spare's email list. It's uh, expertconfidential.com. And he helps people who are in professional services level up. And great guy. Check out his his email list, expertconfidential.com. Really cool dude. And so much value I've been getting out of the meetings with him. And he's given me books and podcasts and all this wild stuff. And he wow. gives that to his email list. But I haven't given, a, given him a penny, but he's given me at least $1,000 worth of education. So, yeah, thanks, Aaron. Uh, he bought me a coffee and I had to return the favor today because I felt like I had owed him one. But you got to check him out, if, especially if you're in Australia and you're in professional services. Check out Aaron Spare. Mm. Awesome. Are you certain you're private and safe online? Check out our new resource at fomo.show forward slash privacy. Yeah, that's a great repository of our favorite tools to understand and improve your online security. So if that's something you're interested in or you just want to see how much work it is, I definitely recommend going and checking that out. Mm. And if you're new to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology in general, check out our Blockchain Basics series, which covers the fundamentals. Yeah, it starts from episode two and continues on until episode eight. So you'll just need to go back a few pages on our website or back through the FOMO vault to find that stuff. So first bit of news, Bitcoin moves a staggering $8.9 billion uh, in USD worth of Bitcoin in a single record-setting hour. In a single hour on the 5th of December, which is a Thursday, the Bitcoin network processed $8.9 billion US in transactions. Now, while most of it was a change in addresses, it showed a glimpse of how Bitcoin could perform as an established medium exchange in the long term. Yeah, now a change of address is when large Bitcoin holders switch addresses or use new addresses regularly as a security measure. Mm. So they got new set of keys, new wallet, and just switch across. But according to Glassnode co-founder Raphael Schultzcraft, it was the highest hourly volume of Bitcoin in terms of US dollars in its 11-year history. This Bitcoin network is starting to process a massive amount of transactions on a daily basis. Which, you know, if the price rises, this is set to rise even higher. Yeah, and it just it just kind of brings home the fact that, like, the, the, this network, um, Bitcoin doesn't really care about the amount that you're sending. It, it, it's not really a consequence on the Bitcoin network. As long as you're paying your fees uh, and you're paying your mm-hmm. transaction fees, uh, the miners don't really care, you know. Like, you can send yeah. $10 or you can send $100 million mm. um, and you'll basically pay the same amount on the Bitcoin network. 
So it's just really cool to see these. I mean, this is what happened um, before gold became the, uh, the 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 international standard. Made is that the uh, transactions were small and small until they weren't. You know, they really started ramping up, and people started exchanging a lot of money via gold. Um, yeah. And eventually, they said, "Well, you know, this makes sense to use as our reserve." Huh? And then they didn't. <laughs> well, they did. <laughs> And then they detached. Hey. Hey. Really cool piece of news. This came out of Nike, the uh, shoe company, which is the Greek word for victory. Random little fact. Uh, They patented a system for tokenizing shoes on Ethereum's blockchain. Yeah, so they've dubbed this uh, non-fungible token or or NFT on the Ethereum blockchain as CryptoKicks. Now, what does non-fungible token mean? Okay, what it basically means is that it's unique. So each Mm. shoe has its own unique identifier on the network and that gives it um, like essentially its own unique presence on the blockchain as a token. So there's only one of it and you can verify um, that that token is unlike anything else just using a a block explorer. Wow. So what they call this crypto kicks? Yeah, calling it crypto kicks. So I mean, it's it's not too far away from crypto kitties, which was the first real huh? um, large scale use of the non fungible token ecosystem in Ethereum. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's it's all been done in a patent, so it's not something I think that they've implemented yet. Um, but their general premise is that the token will be unlocked with the purchase of a corresponding physical shoe by linking a 10-digit shoe identification code with the owner identification code. And the system apparently aims to provide a way to ensure the authenticity of the goods, as they described in their patent. So they said prospective and current owners of these shoes, I guess, um, may buy and sell digital assets through one or more blockchain ledgers operating on a decentralized computing system. By way of example, and not a limitation, a user may buy a new pair of highly sought-after sneakers. Now, I'm thinking like Yeezys, or I'm not an expert on shoes, mm. but like Yeezys or something like that, from a verified vendor. Now, that's probably an important point. Now, that verified vendor may provide authenticated provenance records for the sneakers. Now, after receiving the shoe box containing the purchased sneakers, the user scans the box with a barcode scan feature in an app, that's operating on their smartphone. So it's, I guess it's a way of counteracting counterfeits yeah. and being able to verify this is the only shoe like this. So it actually creates a uniqueness. Yeah, exactly. Now, interestingly, Nike also suggests that token creation may be linked to shoe sales, which would allow for the verification of scarcity of shoes in circulation. So the pattern reads, when a consumer buys a genuine pair of shoes, a digital representation of a shoe may be generated linked with the consumer and assigned a cryptographic token where the digital shoe and cryptographic token collectively represent a crypto kick. So the idea is that when you sell the footwear on, the ownership of that digital token can be passed on alongside the physical product. And the product, you know, the the property is managed in a separate app. So apparently that could be a really cool little interface for Nike users where it, it feels like you have something unique and you can see it in an app and you've seen it, What it's on your feet or in your cupboard 
and you know that that is the only one in the world, which is pretty cool in a way. Yeah, it is. I mean, and the similarities to CryptoKitties in particular don't end there. So Nike are actually suggesting within this pattern um, that the shoes could be bred somewhat like CryptoKitties. According to the patent, using the digital asset, the buyer is enabled to securely trade or sell the tangible pair of shoes trade or sell the shoe, store the digital shoe in a cryptocurrency wallet or other digital blockchain locker, they suggest in this that that you can intermingle or breed two actual shoes. They're suggesting if you own a physical shoe that has a code on the blockchain and somebody else might have another digital shoe – Um, You can actually merge those shoes together and based on rules of acceptable shoe manufacturability, you could actually have a newly bred shoe offspring custom made as a new tangible pair of shoes. WTF. Yeah. Um, Wow. I think they've been smoking a bit too much of whatever (laughs) Cat Williams has been on. (laughs) Holy. (laughs) Uh, But you could actually see see people doing this, mate. I mean, imagine... You know, if you're really into Nikes, I mean, I don't, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't get the fuss, man. But some people are really into Nikes. Um, mm. And if you're really into it, and someone else is really into it, I mean, I guess you guys could come together and you know say some some nuptials and then breed uh-huh. your shoes, and you know, then then you can take them to the store and and get your offspring. Weird, yeah, very weird, very strange. Right possible i'll probably so, charge yeah. you 500 bucks for the shoes so oh yeah brilliant next bit of next news <laughs> yes uh fidelity is trialing a blockchain token to reward employees yeah so fidelity the f- massive financial services giant and i think they run a bunch of trading platforms and Uh, investment management things. Their Center for Applied Technology has completed trials of a new digital token to reward employees for performance and attendance. So, Joe, are you saying that they're rewarding them for their fidelity? Hey, I like you're also a dad, well and truly. (laughs) Anyway, in collaboration with San Francisco-based security token platform TokenSoft, Fidelity have now created and deployed an internal token using the ERC-1404 token standard. So that standard is compliant with the US Securities and Exchange Commission guidelines for securities. And uh, But like ERC-20 Ethereum tokens, um, they can actually be tailored for specific use cases. Now, this token is being referred to as a BBT token, and it's been deployed as a restricted token standard used by Fidelity's Bits and Blocks Club. Now, not a huge amount's known about it, but members could use a BBT token as part of a closed-loop reward system, which rewards employees for attending internal training events. Mm. So most importantly to Fidelity, it was the first use of a token which could have complex regulatory and operational requirements coded into its contract, which that part of it is actually quite interesting. I'd like to see yeah. how they did that. I did not think that was an interesting part, but obviously you're the lawyer because yeah. I figured it's probably easier just to give people a lollipop or something for turning up. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, I, I guess the question has to be asked too, like what are you actually getting rewarded with? Like, And and what's the – it reminds me of that, um, that scene in the office where like, you know, Dwight takes over the office and institutes shroot bucks and, <laughs> then, like, and then people are trying to work out the exchange rate of shroot bucks to uh, – to, to the US dollar and then to other things and they work out that, you know, it's basically worthless. 
and they have to do so many things for the company that it's just doesn't even it's not even feasible to get anything small. Wow. So yeah. It is interesting though to see the massive companies like Fidelity have trillions under management yeah. as far as I'm aware. The it's really cool to see that their employee engagement stuff is being turned into this kind of token. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cult coin, I think we should call it. <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll end up on GitHub somewhere. Oh, I was about to say that's taken by BSV. Yeah. <laughs> or Bitcoin Hex. Brutal. <laughs> Brutal. Oh, Never even heard of Bitcoin Hex. Oh, it's the latest <laughs> new um, scam. Oh, I mean, real? I mean uh, experimental project. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Hex. Oh, I, I'm closing tab. Yeah, don't, right. don't bother, mate. It's... Ugh. Anyway. Let's jump to the next one. <laughs> All right. So next bit of news, uh, the BRICS nation. So that is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Mm. Yes. Oh, you, you've literally listed it there below. So I wasn't oh. actually looking. Um, <laughs> uh, they've discussed shared crypto, uh, a shared crypto to break away from the US dollar and SWIFT. Now, I feel like this, we've been talking about this for so yeah. long. It's almost like they've said it before. You sure that wasn't but, back um, in like episode one? When you were really Do you know it? what? They were talking about this a long time ago. So they're probably, this is the lesson. Government will take a very long time to mm. do things. Mm. Uh, but yeah, they're apparently, apparently talking about across national digital money to reduce the dependence on, you know, the United States dollar. Uh, I think we should probably end the story there, you know, common cryptocurrency, potential solution, you know, la, la, la. Mm. Um, avoiding the SWIFT. Now, SWIFT is the, transaction almost network slash what'd you call that confirmation yeah it's like a settlement layer almost between the different between like it it, it routes payments between different mm. international banks and financial messaging and, just yeah. words on a screen yeah 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 and i think we mentioned in episode 44 that swift which these guys are trying to replace well yeah avoid They've actually they've actually been messing around with blockchain themselves. So it's not like it's a uneven battle between the BRICS and everybody else. Mm. Mm. Anyway. We'll report back when they actually have something con- a bit more concrete. Show me when it's done. <laughs> uh, so next bit of news is this is from Juniper Research, and they've said that blockchain and IoT will save the food industry billions of dollars. Now, Juniper Research, I assume that comes from Juniper, the massive... Uh, networking hardware company, so they look after network switches and routers and that kind of thing. Mm. But a new report from them highlights how the food industry could be a major use case for blockchain technology. So more specifically, the research claims how retailers could start driving down their overhead costs by streamlining supply chains and upgrading the food recall processes. Yeah, so this would all need to happen with you know, distributed ledgers, blockchain sort of technology. But by combining that technology with the Internet of Things, now this is a really interesting part, massive potential could be unlocked. Yeah, and so they've said that transparency and efficiency are in high demand, yet it's virtually impossible to achieve in the food industry with the current use of intermediaries and paper records. And we have heard this story before. I mean, this was a big reason why Walmart... And Nestle and Unilever and a number of the other guys Mm. commissioned IBM to build the Food Trust uh, blockchain, uh, particularly after that outbreak of uh, E. coli or something within, you know. um, uh, And they've been been on that now for, I think, about a year. Like, it's actually been uh, in open open use now for about a year within some of their supply chains. I wonder what that's going to end up being like, whether it's 
on the barcode of every food product, you can almost scan it with your phone and mm. uh, and see exactly which farm it's come from, who the farmer was, or what when that was made, or what the weather was like when it was. I'd be really interested to see how they do that because yeah. it's it's unpaved territory as far as with yeah. And there's a, there is a number of companies popping up who are doing these IoT connected farm deployments. And they're, they're, they're running into some issues getting the connectivity to a lot of the farms. But once they've got it there, all these smart meters and extra devices are really coming in handy for a lot of what these farms are doing because it's just helping them to uh, keep track of things, learn where they're maybe losing money, uh, learn where they can, learning where they can improve things and obviously tracking everything that's going into this supply chain at the other end too. So mm. um, it's, it's, it's an emerging industry and I guess – yeah, everyone's just looking for these solutions to work out how they can streamline things even further. So, yeah. mm, it's an it's an interesting one. Privacy focused Brave browser, which we've mentioned multiple times before, they've surpassed forty million downloads. Yeah, so and you can get the the, the browser at fomo.show/brave. So we we've got links to it directly on our website. It's in our privacy section as well. Um, but look, it's still got a long way to go before it overtakes competitors Mozilla and Google Chrome. But Brave is actually by far the most downloaded crypto-related app on Android, having four times more downloads than crypto exchange Coinbase's app. It's basically an alternative to Google Chrome or Mozilla Firefox or Internet Explorer if you're uh, fortunate enough to be using that. Edge. Um, Edge. Oh, sorry. They call it (laughs) Edge now. Mm. Brave has basically taken Google Chrome, but they've stripped out everything that they could find that was Google calling back home, mm. and they actually built in ad blockers into this browser. I use it on my mobile phone because apparently I've saved over half an hour since I installed the app of loading time on web pages just having this app installed, and it's it's just wild. It's just a quick internet browser. It's actually – I prefer it to Chrome on my mobile. Mm. Um, yeah, apparently, yeah, yeah, plenty of time saved. 18,000 ad trackers have been blocked. Wow. For an out-of-the-box browser, I think it's the best one out there. Like Firefox is my main browser on my desktop. Brave is my main one on my, on my mobile. The mobile browser is amazing for Brave. Um, mm. But if you just download, even on your desktop, if you just download stock Firefox and stock Brave, Brave will actually have more privacy features in it than Firefox does. Now, you can customize Firefox a lot more, and the benefit of it is that it's not based on Chrome. Um <laughs> Uh, which is a big thing for some people, yeah. um, but uh, but mate, it is it like it, it is super fast, super slick. Uh, they've done an amazing job, and everything just points to them going even further and further with this. Mm. They've got an ad system built into it, so you can either block all ads or you can allow some ads and get paid to click on those ads. So pretty interesting. Uh, check it out, FOMO.show forward slash Brave. Um, I think clicking installing it helps support the show really cool really fast i love it on mobile it's actually better than chrome on mobile um so yeah check it out next bit of news china has just completed the world's largest 3d printed structure yeah so this chinese town of suzu is home to a wall which is unlike any other Mm, so this is the new great wall um of uh of suzu and it's (laughs) (laughs) it's um uh, according to a a newly published story by the 3D Printing Media Network, Chinese construction company Winsun has finished building a 3D printed wall which, at more than 500 metres long, 
is now the world's largest 3D printed structure of any kind. So it forms almost like a dam, like a it, it's it's basically a dam. The wall is a river revetment, which is a type of sloping wall designed to protect the shoreline from erosion by absorbing the energy of the water's current. Yeah, and you really have to look at the pictures or watch the video to, to, to get a full idea of how they're doing this. But these structures can be vital to preserving coastal habitats, but the excavation and foundation laying, uh, which is required by the traditional means of constructing them, can lead to polluted waterways and other environmental issues. But this is the really big thing. By 3D printing the revetment, they're actually able to follow the natural contour of the creek. So using 3D scanning and stuff like that, you scan what's the actual lay of the land and we're going to print an exact wall that fits in like a dam. It's almost like a, yeah, just almost like a dam or a coastal defense that, yeah, it puts way less stress on the ecosystem and, the yeah, the land around it. Yeah, and they actually said that compared to traditional building techniques, 3D printing the revetment was also faster, cheaper and required less on-site labour, uh, at least they claimed in their video highlighting the project. And they said this was all reasons why this first 3D printed revetment likely won't be the last. Now, I wonder, now, seeing 3D printing, I drove past this beautiful building the other day. It was like an old... French style architecture, you know, where the mm. front, the facade of the building is really intricate. It's got like curly bits out of the top of columns and little little shapes in there and things like that. I wonder if in the future the facades for buildings, the really intricate ones, are actually just going to get three D printed. Mm. I really wonder because that would probably be a lot quicker. Like you just basically have your designs and then you. You print them out and they're exact every single time. Yeah. I mean, I've got a friend who um, he builds all sorts of equipment and does all sorts of things with computer equipment. And he recently was doing up some like mobile um, Wi-Fi routers, essentially, um, yeah. like in a pa- little package, like a little case. And uh, within like an hour, mate, he had like a full 3D printed mesh to kind of go in this case and cushion everything what? completely. Like it was just, it was perfect. All the cables had little channels and like wow. unreal, man. So, you know, like it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy what you can do 3D with 3D printing. printing yeah. is just, it's just slowly just seeping into life. I feel like that's a lot of technology. It's just going to slowly seep in. Mm. Now you read a really interesting piece, and you, you shared this with me the other week. It was about behind the one-way mirror, a deep dive into the tech that's behind corporate surveillance. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so this was really cool. This came out of the Electronic Frontiers Foundation, and, and they're one of our favourite organisations. They do a lot of advocacy for mm-hmm. uh, digital human rights and kind of just keep an eye on everything that's going on um, as far as digital surveillance and privacy and security and they even publish like web browser plugins uh, for that purpose too. So really cool organization doing some really good stuff. Um, and they, they published this article recently. And we're just going to read a bit of it. I mean, they say that the average web page shares data with dozens of third parties and the average yeah. mobile app does the same. And many apps collect highly sensitive information like location, which is terrifyingly, that's exactly where you are right now. Yeah. And call records, even while they're not in use. Yeah, and traffic also reaches into the physical world. And they they talk about shopping centers using automatic license plate readers to track traffic through their parking lots and then sharing data with law enforcement. Which is absolutely fine because you have nothing to fear if you're doing nothing wrong. (laughs) 
But then they dig into like businesses, concert organizers, and political campaigns using Bluetooth and Wi-Fi beacons to perform passive monitoring of people in their area. And I've actually seen this go on. I mean, I've I've um I've sat there and watched a uh, like uh, literally like we were just talking about one of these mobile uh, beacons you can set up, and it will just ping and query like um your all the phones, all the devices around, and you can literally t- see like where people are, where they're walking mm. into, where the hotspots are. Like there's all this data that you can just get from from what's out there. Uh, it's terrifying because the more I've learned about Wi-Fi, it turns out even if you're walking through a supermarket or a mall and you're even if you're not connected to the Wi-Fi, your phone actually, whenever you're checking what's around you wireless-wise, mm. you're actually giving a ping out to the routers. So even if you're not connected to the network, yep. they're still seeing where you are. Yeah, and you know, because because you're, if your Wi-Fi is on, like if you if your phone's got Wi-Fi on but it's not connected to something, it's just querying all the time. Hey, what networks are out there? Is there a network that I remember? Oh, there is. I should connect to that. Oh, there's not. Okay, let's keep looking. Let's keep looking. Let's keep looking. So, mm. yeah, I actually like make it a habit most of the time now when I go out of the house is to turn my Wi-Fi off completely because mm. um, there's normally some ghost of a Wi-Fi network I connected to way back in the day. Um, where, you know, I wasn't as security conscious and I'll be walking around and all of a sudden I'm connected to some Wi-Fi, you know. Uh, a lot of these Brisbane like, free Wi-Fi. Yeah, something like that, mate. And you're just like, what? Like, I didn't have, why am I on this network? And, you know, you'll turn it off. But, yeah, it's just easy just to keep it off. So this is a really cool link. Um, so check it out, eff.org uh, slash WP slash behind the one-way mirror. Now, they go into... A bit of a background on how all this stuff works, um, the data, who uses it, what the networks look like, how they share it, and how to fight back. So check it out. It's a mammoth piece. Yeah. Uh, next bit of news. Uh, so you can now pretend to be using Windows uh, with Kali Linux under cover mode. Kali Linux is an operating system like Windows or you know uh, Macintosh or, or Mac OS. I don't know what it's called. But it's designed for people who hack things. Mm. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the weapon of choice for most hackers. It's built on Linux. It's quite a lightweight version of Linux. Um, and uh, it comes preloaded with all these different network penetration tools, testing tools, exploit tools. Like you can literally jump on Kali Linux, uh, put it on a USB drive, plug it into a computer, click a button and you'll uh, and just tell it where you want to target and it'll mm. run all these like run-of-the-mill hacks for you in a few yeah. seconds. It's just insane. It's pretty powerful. And the latest update, usually it looks a little bit more sus, but now it actually has a skin where it just looks just like regular Windows. Yeah, so for those of you Linux enthusiasts, all three of us, um, you are, uh, it's actually running uh-huh. XFCE now by default, which is a very lightweight desktop environment, but it's also really flexible. And so they've they've custom modded this thing um, to, uh, yeah, to look exactly like Windows. So if you're pen testing a network, if you're on a security assignment or uh, whatever you're doing um, in your in, in your job or, you know, for a hobby, if, if that's what you're into, um, if you set up, it, 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 people won't be able to walk past anymore and tell you're using Kali, like anyone that's in the know. All they'll see is what just looks like a normal Windows installation. Mm, yeah. So watch out. It's uh, even scarier. Mm. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram and say hello? 
at fomo.show forward slash telegram. Now this week we are doing a feature. Then and now, how our thinking on blockchain and cryptocurrency has changed over the last couple of years of the podcast. Yeah, so if you go back through the FOMO vaults and listen to some of our early episodes, you'll be able to hear all the things we said uh, and our thinking and, and what we our predictions back then. Um, and we thought it was about time we revisited uh, a lot of that and looked at how things have changed, maybe what we were wrong about, what we were wrong at right about, um, and just discuss like where things are at now. Yeah, so we're going to cover blockchain in general, then digital currencies, ICOs, decentralization, and then we'll talk about some of some specific currencies, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, EOS, PIVX, a few other ones that we've talked about because our thinking has changed over the last few years, and we'd really love to just talk about where we were and how we got to where we are now. So why don't we just start with blockchain technology? Now, I was listening to the first episode of the FOMO show the other day. Awful, awful stuff. Um, <laughs> we should both be ashamed of ourselves. But um, We were yeah. new. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, we were very excited about what could happen, and it was blockchain was the answer to everything, and this was mid-2017. Um, mm. And, yeah, what were your thoughts on where we were then? Yeah, well, I think... <laughs> I think we were a bit overconfident on what we thought it could do. Um, I mean, I remember particularly thinking that smart contracts, for example, were the answer to everything. I thought that this technology was just going to take over the world, that um, Ethereum had kind of put it forward, but EOS and Cardano and all these newer um, chains were just going to, like, everything would be on a smart contract and it was going to completely change how we did commerce, uh, automate the flow of money, you know, money, business logic, same platform, um, yeah, I I was fully I'd fully bought into the uh, blockchain world narrative. Same. I, I thought it was going to solve so many more problems than it practically would. You know, I thought blockchain would be, you know, the basic basis for you know agreements, you know, contracts, things like that. Um, and I think we also thought that it was brilliant because it could take away the power from powers that shouldn't be because it was an immutable, a permanent record mm. of something that happened. That's the, one of the key differences between blockchain and a database is that a blockchain is similar to a database in many ways, but it's cryptographically verified. There's a timestamp to what's there and everything in the future is linked to what was in the past. So if you try and change the past, everything that happens thereon sort of breaks down a little bit. And so I figured it was just going to be a great way of taking away the power from the powers that shouldn't be. But what do we, how has our thinking changed from, from your perspective? I think I've definitely eased off on the, uh, the blockchain will solve everything narrative. Um, even just the utility of smart contracts, programmable money. I think uh, the 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 inspiration was probably there, but the actual reality isn't really there. Um, mm. We have seen things slowly growing, but they haven't really been growing in the areas we probably thought they were. So mm. there are tech giants adopting this tech, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Oracle, Alibaba, um, but they haven't jumped on the public networks as much. Um, like Microsoft, ha yes, Microsoft has a project on... Uh, Bitcoin, they've got some projects on Ethereum, same thing with uh, IBM, but the majority of the stuff they're doing is like on the private blockchain. So Hyperledger Fabric, Corda, Quorum, which is JP Morgan's iteration. And there are even private versions of Ethereum. So Ethereum, we thought was just everything would be on the Ethereum 
you know, official public network, but they're actually private versions of Ethereum being used for a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And look, like, that's that's the thing with open source software. Like, it can be used for uh, the purpose that it was created for, but it can also be co-opted and used for a number of other things and used in new ways people didn't even uh, think of at the beginning. And you've seen that with other banks looking in. You know, Goldman Sachs have made it their own little... Uh, version Cryptocurrency of, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got their circle products and and it's like a, a, a stable coin. It stays stable to the United States dollar, I think. Yeah, I yeah. To remember. Yeah, Tether's another one like that, and Gemini's got one now too. And um, mm. uh, yeah, there's been. I mean, and Gemini's obviously they've got the uh, they're, they're tied in with BlockFi as well, which we've talked about before. Mm. All that's been going on, but we've also then seen some of these larger entities take the concept of blockchain, kind of abstract money away from it and just said, you know what, we can use this as just a database essentially to track things. We don't even need the money part. Yeah, so we've seen that with the food trust from Walmart. Now they're asking every supplier to get onto this food trust uh, system. We've also had um, IBM and Maersk. Um, Now Maersk is this massive shipping company. Now they've been looking at a shipping blockchain for all the documents when it comes to getting to port and what's on your boat and all these sorts of things. So that's been an interesting use case for for blockchain stuff. Uh, Nike, which we've just covered, Provenance, um, but even bonds. I mean, we've seen uh, ComBank issue bonds, the World Bank, Santander, Bank of China, um, Mm. and Mm. um, all sorts of other banks are making noises about saying to issue bonds and other uh, financial assets on their own versions of these you know these blockchains which mm. i mean the more that it gets abstracted away from the public chains the the the, the more you kind of look at it and go well what's the I and mean, what's the real utility here like if it's just your own private chain running on your own private servers like where where is the the secret source you know where's the stuff yeah. that makes all this so good in the first place mm. Mm. I, i'm really interested by the the stuff we were talking about earlier about nike you know the idea of provenance so uh, I think that could potentially crack down on a lot of fakes. So with fake Nike um, shoes or I could see whiskey companies jumping on this so that you have, you know that your whiskey is unique and you could know, you could get details on exactly which barrel it came from, what type of wood that was, how big the barrel was, how long it was there for. So you could actually have a blockchain record of the number of seconds that thing was in a barrel or in a certain location or whatever mm. until it got to you. So I could see whiskey companies might still jump onto that sort of thing and 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 so that you know that your pair of Nike trainers is from Nike and unique. Yeah, and and, and look, there are definitely some some big upsides to that. There are some big upsides to having a database, and the more people that that database is shared with, the more upside that is. I mean, a lot of it still comes down to trust, but. Um, I, I think we've probably seen over the last couple of years that as much as the technology itself, blockchain has almost been this like magic um, magic word that people have kind of waved to get very old systems and very old, uh, very established thinking patterns and people in high positions to shift. You know, they've, they've, they've almost like, it's almost taken this new buzzword um, to make them investigate some new technology and start to say, oh, well, Maybe the systems we've been using for 30 years may need updating. You know, maybe there is a better way to do this. Um, Mm. Because a lot of this stuff we look at, and I mean, particularly now, mate, I think after the veneers kind of washed off the blockchain buzzword and and, and we've had a lot more time to sit with it, 
even now, I, th- I think you, you look at it and you go, blockchain's probably not the best option for, for, for a lot of this stuff. But what it seems to be is it's the option that's getting through to people. And getting through to these high-level executives, and so while it may not be the best solution, or even really what it's been designed for, it seems to be something that is shifting thought patterns and 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 spearheading new projects within these large enterprises, um, where you know maybe a, a database that might have been more suited, but it wasn't as sexy. You know, didn't get the nod. Mm, now, I guess a bit of a reality check for me has been that it's it's a database, but there's less there's no alteration so with many of the blockchain platforms out there it's yeah the difference between that and a database is that not only are you logging the information but that is permanent so it's mm. what do we need a permanent record of do we need a permanent record of um you know what you bought at the supermarket or do we need a permanent record of what's going on in your government mm. for example and does permanence create more problems than it solves is another thing that that I, I think hasn't been explored in a lot of these projects because one of the big issues I ran up against when I was really getting into smart contracts was the whole idea of permanence. I mean, uh, I, I mate, my, my life is reviewing and changing contracts. Like I do it all the time. And, and uh, like some artists look back and look at the first songs that they wrote, I look back mm-hmm. at some of the contracts I wrote a year ago, two years ago, whatever else, and, and look at how much has changed and how much new things I put in, the new ways I do things. And, Oh, I, I don't know. Sometimes I, I really don't like the idea of permanence in legal relationships. And the reality is like a lot of what's being put on these blockchains is commercial relationships between parties. Mm. I mean, do you really want permanence to that level with that kind of stuff? There's another part of things that really got scary to me and I didn't even see this early on mm. was that because blockchain technology records everything permanently, it's actually easier to track and depending on what you're tracking, tracking everything that somebody does with mm. them. Mm. And I think that's why you've seen countries like China jump into this in such a big way. I mean, and this is probably the, the broader the broader issue that we've run up against as we've covered blockchain more and more and more from 2017 to now is we start looking at it and going, is this even what we were really excited about at the beginning? You know, like has, has blockchain become something which is almost the polar opposite to what we thought it w- would be? Because at the beginning, we thought it would be something that would be, uh, that would help liberate people, you know, liberate money, um, mm. open source money, open source commerce, uh, bring everything into transparency. And you, know, like you essentially have these shared networks, which are, like networks of the commons almost. But what we're seeing more and more and, – and, and when governments started talking about it, we we're like, oh, great. Like, you know, they, they, they'll adopt it, but they'll they'll be phased out because um, – or at least minimised a bit more because this, this is open source, it's shared with everyone. They can't really get control of it. But now we're seeing countries like China implement these state-owned blockchains. They don't implement them and say to everyone, oh, you can all host nodes – we don't have any real control over it. They're, they're actually saying this system's great because we can track everything. Like we've got a permanent record of everything. Mm. And I, I think that's why we're seeing some of these uh, more surveillance orientated regimes really embrace blockchain so much. Mm. And then you got to ask the question, well, is that something we should be getting excited about? Sure. <laughs> Well, let's move on to digital currencies. Now, we started 
the podcast back in August, I think it was in 2017. Mm. Now that was at the start of a big boom in cryptocurrency. And I was listening back on episode one the other day, and now we started during a boom, and we were the first episode of Salt and Pepper Crypto, we were having lunch with friends, some of which were saying, you know, all this sounds too good to be true. Uh, you know, we're explaining the concepts behind what work, uh, the technology and how it works. But one of the big themes was, um, I think you were big on this early on. If this, you were saying, you know, if this crypto bubbles to go anywhere, adoption is really key as far as digital currencies go. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, and I think even then we were we were wondering about the dangers of you know, everyone jumping in, thinking they're going to become millionaires, like, and and what would happen if it crashed? You know, would that just be the end? Like, would everyone be fed up with it and? And walk away, and I think we did see a lot of that. I mean, I, I talk to people now, even now, and you'll mention Bitcoin, and they'll say, "Oh, yeah, I put, you know, I put a thousand dollars in in December or, or November, you know, when it was all over the news, and I got nothing, and I got in trouble from my wife or my girlfriend, and so they just that that and they, and they, it's actually really funny, mate. Like a lot of people still think it's down around like two thousand dollars or something, and mm. you tell them, no, no, it's it's come, and they're like, oh, really? I didn't even realize. So we did see a bit of that, but at the same time, we saw a whole new tranche of people come into the ecosystem uh, and a whole new tranche of people get passionate about this and really start to understand it. So, like, there definitely was some level of adoption. Yeah. Now, I remember us both back in the day, both of us were saying it needs to be simple and it needs to be easy to use, you know, just like email or whatever. But one thing I remember saying from that episode was saying, we were saying stuff like, you know, in the future, you know, if I were to send you money, I'd be sending you Bitcoin and I wouldn't be worrying about what it was worth in US dollars because it would have, Bitcoin would have its own value that's separate to that. Mm. And I think I was dead wrong on that. I think you were just early. <laughs> like, I, I, I really think that, uh, yeah, like in, in the future we will, as, as Bitcoin gets more and more purchasing power against the US dollar and everything else, people will start to value it independently. You know, you may you may start to see people, I mean, there's already sites that do this, but no one really works on that yet. But you may start to see people start to value fiat currencies uh, as against Bitcoin. Mm. Moving on for digital currencies, looking at what we think now versus what we thought back then. Now, I seem to remember there was a really surprising element that I never thought was going to be a big part of digital currencies. What was that for you? Ah, uh, yeah, like Bitcoin forced me to really start to understand money and really start to understand our financial system and how things actually work. That's actually been the red pill for a lot of people. Like mm. they, yeah, I was not expecting that Bitcoin would actually be the driver for people understanding how does money work? Who prints money? Where does money come from? Why do they keep adding money into our system? Whereas Bitcoin is actually saying, here's how money works on Bitcoin. Compare that to what you currently have. So it's almost like a comparison mechanism. Yeah. And look, I knew nothing about things like Austrian economics. I don't know much about the Federal Reserve System. I was quite ignorant about how the gold reserve worked and the history of money. All these different things I just didn't really know that much about. And I'd never really thought it was worth my while researching. Uh, once the moment I got into Bitcoin, it was like, I went on a research frenzy and you were probably similar, mate. Like you, mm. you really wanted to understand how our current system worked and why Bitcoin was different. And 
and and why the value proposition of something like Bitcoin was so much better than the value proposition of, you know, keeping your money in the bank, for example, in our current system. Mm. Now, with adoption for digital currencies, I thought it was going to be a lot more on Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies, but we've actually been seeing central banks, and we've had a lot of talk in the last few years, and we've talked about a lot of it on the show, central banks looking into creating digital versions of their existing currencies. Which sort of areas have you heard of um, around central bank digital currencies? Yeah, well, we've, I mean, we've covered BRICS quite a bit. They're always talking about it. Um, but the, the China are talking about having their own. Japan, Iran's a very interesting one because they've, they're sanctioned. So they're trying to do something mm. to get around that. Mm. Russia's talked about it. Even the European Union and the US are floating this kind of stuff. And it's interesting because it, it really brings up a discussion around, well, what, what would be the value proposition of a centrally issued digital currency as opposed to something like Bitcoin when there's no real indication that a centrally issued digital currency would act any different really to how, how it works currently. Because mm, they yeah. could just print money out of nowhere, add it to the supply and sure, you could... S- Maybe it's just more transparent issuance of fake money. The more sinister part of it, of course, is that if it's centrally issued and held on a common ledger, um, you can you know you, you can exercise a lot more control um, and hard code in things like surveillance and and uh, monetary policy directly into the ledger, which you can't really do at the mm. moment. Um, so for central banks, like it would be a great benefit for them because they would have. Uh, and and an unprecedented level of control over the entire monetary system within mm. their jurisdiction. Mm. Yeah. Um, but uh, it would still come with all the same inherent flaws that we've discovered in our Bitcoin journey over the last couple of years. You know, it's just they can track when you're selling your you know widget to somebody else on Gumtree or some other website, and, exactly and tie that into a social credit system or something. You know, um, or a citizen reward system or whatever we end up calling it in the democratic world. Mm. Now, simplicity-wise, cryptocurrency and digital currencies have become much easier to use. There are way more mobile apps. The mobile apps are way better designed. There's, It's way easier to get into than ever before. But I still feel like there's a lot of room to make things even simpler cryptocurrency-wise. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you do have products like Amber now. Um, even exchanges are making the onboarding process a lot easier. They're making interfacing with hosted wallets a lot easier uh, mm-hmm. and, and the on-ramps a lot easier, so exchanging your dollars for Bitcoin. But the actual, like, interacting with the ledger itself is still quite a, a not-as-user-friendly experience, I guess you'd say, particularly if you want to be secure. Like, mm. the lengths you have to go to to be quite secure, quite private uh, on any blockchain is is tough. I mean, there's some great tools out there for Bitcoin now if you know what you're doing, but it's it's still very early days. Like, it's by no means simple. And, and you're big on that, Joe. Like, you're big on the UX, and I know that things still haven't got your seal of approval yet. <laughs> it's getting <laughs> close, though. I mean, you look at yeah. wallets like Jax and Coinomi. Um, Coinomi yeah. is great. You, there's a receive tab. There's a send tab. It's, it's making it much easier to interact with these things without having to download a copy of the blockchain or understand what's like internet, you know, you don't have to understand, you know, HTTPS or you don't have to, under, have to understand TCP IP. 
Mm. But you can use cryptocurrency, and that's what I think Jax and Coinomi and other wallets like Wallet of Satoshi have made really easy. You just need to take somebody's address and send money to their address. And I think the address concept is really powerful. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see this continue to improve. I mean, I know personally the experience with uh, Lightning has just – from what it, where it was at this time last year to where it's at now, it's night and day. Like things like Wallet of Satoshi have made it very, very easy to use these layer two solutions that are still very much in beta, but are, are rapidly improving. Mm, mm. It's pretty exciting. So I think there's a big future for digital currencies, but sadly, um, central banks are starting to adopt them. What are your thoughts on ICOs? Because they were pretty big when we got started out and – we haven't put anything in the show notes for them, but I figured I'd ask you anyway. Uh, yeah, they're, they're dead. Um, they should never have been a thing. Um, I think that they were a learning experience that we needed to have, but the whole tokenize everything, your token will be worth a lot more money, um, invest in these projects without any real equity. That whole scheme, I think, in the highlight of day and, and looking back has just been proven to be a, a dead end. It's it's mm. it's proven that it, there's no real value. The, the Bitcoin SV guys are still going on about how they're going to create tokens. I think the cash guys are doing the same thing. But um, I think Ethereum pretty clearly showed that the the model works for a couple um, for, for a short amount of time. But generally, it's a net loss for most mm. people and there's no real utility for, for most of it either. So, yeah. I mean, do you have any thoughts? No, I'll agree with you there. <laughs> the next topic being decentralization. Now, I don't think we've really changed a huge amount between then and now in our principles on decentralization. I think we used to talk a lot about power being taken away from people who currently have power and actually taking away power and spreading it out so that nobody has too much power. I think that concept is brilliant. Mm. However, we haven't seen a massive adoption in ideas on decentralization as far as things that have real significance. Yeah, but I, I think there is a bit of a groundswell happening. Like it's it's quiet, but, you know, you hear people like Jeff Berwick, for example, talk um, yeah. about how, you know, he used to go to these libertarian and anarchist conferences and stuff and there'd be like 10 people there, you know, and eight of them would just be like crazy people. Um, mm. But now he's talking and now he's he's he gets what, far too many invitations to small grassroots conferences all around the world where people are talking about these ideas. And he credits a lot of it to, to Bitcoin as well. He says that like that is really – and I can say that personally, mate. It, like Bitcoin has changed my political view in a massive way. I mean, Jeff as well, actually. Like I found him through that. But um, but uh, and, and other, other very uh, prominent thinkers in that space too. But so I think there's been a – there has definitely been a trend – within the community to tend towards decentralization. And I think a lot of people that get into this see the value in that. Um, but also even like just just looking at the let's, – let's just take the Bitcoin network itself. The amount of nodes has significantly increased. It's become a lot easier to host your own full node. Mm. I, you know, a few months ago set up my own here in my room. Wow. Um, and it was super easy, man. Like it was really, really simple and – I, I think there's a lot of that happening behind the scenes. It's just that we don't we don't hear about it as much because the the news feeds are clogged with central bank to issue China coin or whatever you know, and 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 Bitcoin will go to 20k 
when moon, um, yeah. et cetera. Like that's what we hear about, you know, but I, I, I definitely think there is a growing groundswell of support for these decentralization ideas, but it's just going to take some time, I think. Mm. What, do you, what do you think? I have a huge amount of hope because I think the more I'm reading about history and the more I'm learning, the more I think, we should not give any people undue amounts of power. You see what happens when somebody – imagine you're just driving along a street and somebody who's working on a building construction site who has one of those slow and stop signs, mm. like the power that that person wields mm. is is crazy. You see what people do with small amounts of power. Mm. I personally – and the problem is I'm very politically driven by this, but – I believe that we should take power away from people and actually get rid of power mm. in many ways. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I think I agree with you. <laughs> now, let's actually talk about some of the specific currencies. We'll do a bit of a run-through of these because we don't need to dwell too long on all of them. But, yeah, we've talked about a few different currencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, EOS, PIVX, uh, a lot of other Crap coins, I think is the safe way to call them, and <laughs> even privacy coins like Monero. Let's do a quick rundown. Bitcoin, what did we used to talk about Bitcoin? What did we used to say behind <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin's like back? I, I, I feel like this This will be my apology letter to Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin, I'm sorry that I called you slow. I'm sorry that I called you out of date. A good, I think at one stage I used the word, a good test demo. Um, of the technology mm-hmm. and I, I probably said all sorts of other horrible things but yeah I didn't think a lot of Bitcoin uh, like I, it, it was the incumbent it was great I obviously had some but I've spent a lot more time gambling and getting into a lot of the, the crap coins as you called them back then I didn't think Bitcoin was very <laughs> sexy I thought it was kind of old tech but now um, after a lot more time um, swallowing some of my pride learning some hard lessons losing money uh, reading a lot and just talking to people who are quite intelligent and who I, you know, I, I genuinely respect. I've come to the view that that Bitcoin is an incredible technology. That it's very hard, if if not almost impossible, to actually replicate what Bitcoin did. Yeah. And and that the value proposition of Bitcoin compared to all the derivatives is just so much more prominent and so much more valuable. That. Yeah, I'm a I'm I'm a borderline Bitcoin maximalist now. <laughs> Do you know what? I feel like I'm exactly the same place because of our interview with Alex Fetsky, which was episode fifty-one. So not even that long ago, maybe yeah. what nine or well, twelve weeks? How who knows? But he was really talking about the foundation of Bitcoin, the solid money, and mm. the story behind it, and how hard it is to replicate what the story is behind Bitcoin the technical basis. And while Bitcoin is undeniably still slow, you if I send you money, you're not going to get it for another 10 minutes. Mm. But it is solid. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's one of the tricky things. Now, Lightning Network is a really interesting proposition on there. But Bitcoin, i got to swallow my pride too. I actually switched because I was weighing, like I didn't buy Bitcoin until probably about a year ago. Mm. And that is to my great shame 
because I figured Bitcoin was just a cryptocurrency, but I didn't realize there's actually a lot of strength in what is behind Bitcoin, the history, the story, and the technology. Yeah, and then the network effects. I mean, it, it is it is by far the largest network. It's got the longest proven record. Um, it, it has an ecosystem which is very committed to keeping the foundation very strong. Um, and I think the fact that it moves slowly is actually to its benefit rather than to its mm-hmm. detriment. Um, and it does what it's set out to do really, really well, which is build a foundational money, monetary layer. Like it is a, it is the most uh, secure network in the world, uh, let alone financial network, which, which is what it is as well. Um, and so you can be more confident in your value being stored safely on that network than you can on anything else. Um, That's a really important thing is the security of yeah. how it's stored. Mm. Yeah. And that's something you can build upon. I mean, it, and that's, you know, we saw that if you, if you go back through history, I mean, I, I direct everyone again to the Bitcoin standard uh, by Safadina Moose, which is just, I guess, the seminal work in, a, in our ecosystem at the moment. Like it's required reading. If you are at all into cryptocurrencies, I think everyone should read that book because he, he digs into the history of money, talks about how monetary systems come about. And you can look at how gold went from first to store of value all the way through to a medium exchange and then a unit of account. And you can begin to track that journey with Bitcoin as well. And you can see how it's, it's, it's going through that same, that same journey and it's proving all the fundamentals. And then it's on a, on a more macro level, it is trending very, very much towards becoming you know, the new reserve currency mm-hmm. because uh, it, it's just in purchasing, it is, it is building purchasing power against every other currency in the world. So yeah, we could talk for a long time on that, but yeah, definitely. I think we've we've come a long way with our thoughts on Bitcoin. Check out episode 51 to really skip a lot of the, the stuff that we talk about and skip through episode 51 a bit. You might, or you'll get to that bit on there. But let's move on to the next one, Ethereum. Let's do a quick rundown on this. Yeah. What did we think back then? And now you're a lawyer and Ethereum is a smart contracts linked cryptocurrency. Yeah, what are our thoughts back then, and what do you think now? Yeah, so from memory, we we like we we loved the smart contract concept, and I think yeah, we thought there was a lot of potential there with programmable money, and I think there still is. Like, I don't want to discount the potential that's there now. It doesn't make the most sense to have that layer on chain. Mm, I'm I'm not. I've I've I think I've turned the corner on that, and I would say no. I'd say that. Mm-hmm. That causes some issues, and I think back then as well, we talked a lot about the the charging mechanism, like the gas and the way yeah. the gas work. Because you have to pay a fee to do any transaction to do with a contract. Yeah, because they talk about it as a worldwide computer, but it's not really. It's a worldwide ledger, and everyone hosts a copy of the computer. Um, so whenever you want to do anything on the network, everyone has to do that thing. Like everyone who runs a full node has to do that piece of computation so it's actually really expensive mm. to do things mm. so what, what do we think now mate what, what what where are we at the concepts are still great but i think there's a huge amount that can be done there and i don't think necessarily ethereum needs to be relied on mm. for that i'd agree i'd agree eos yeah eos Talk to me about EOS, Joe. Now, EOS was designed by Dan Larimer. He made uh, Steemit, um, BitShares, a few massive high-scale, high-throughput cryptocurrencies, um, smart contract platforms, I guess you'd probably say. Um, Steemit is actually a social network that operates entirely on a blockchain. 
Now, EOS was a project created by Dan Larimer to allow developers to create enterprise-scale, business-scale applications. They wanted to deliver the promises of Ethereum with smart contracts, but with zero transaction fees for end users. Yeah, and look, there was a there was a massive amount of technical documentation that was going into it. Everyone was really excited. They ran the, I think it's still the largest ICO of all time um, to fund this thing. Over four billion US dollars. Yeah, ran over it. Ran over a whole year. Like they'd release a certain amount every time. Then they launched the network to great fanfare. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's happened now? A bit of an update here. I keep an eye on EOS because I think EOS has some really good concepts behind it. Check out our previous episodes. Just search on Google FOMO.show. EOS. Uh, we've done a lot of talk about it, but I guess the main bits are that EOS, instead of having you know massively decentralized power, there are only 21 people or 21 organizations that decide what happens, which means that a smaller amount of people means that it's way quicker for things to happen. Mm. So they have they're very high speed, but I've heard a lot of criticism more recently on EOS as if you own an one EOS, it means that you own that percentage of the network's CPU power, so the processing power, and the, that 1% of the um, cryptocurrency's memory. So mm. when it comes to running a smart contract, you require processing power to process a smart contract and memory to hold the items in the current memory of the program. Now, EOS has not played out as well as we wanted it to. Um, There have been a few problems with it. There's been resource allocations. There have been a lot of pipe dreams, but it hasn't come out fully yet how we wanted it to come out. Yeah, and and look, the the, the whole 21-bot producers thing um, has really marred a lot of what's been going on. I think there's been a lot of talk of collusion and a lot of um, them are Chinese. And- yeah, yeah, and and they do tend to vote together. There's not a lot of transparency into which block producers there are. And yeah, look, I mean, mate, to, to be honest, like I, I I used to be really really into EOS. I used to think it had a lot of promise. Um, love the idea of kind of improving on Ethereum and making smart contracts easy, but. Uh, I, I think I've fallen out of love with it. I think I, 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 I'm, I'm not, and I, I'd love for them to prove me wrong, but um, I'm nowhere near as confident about the project as I used to be. Yeah, fair enough. EOS is really fast, really effective, but I've seen some blog posts from some gambling companies who are saying, look, this is not sustainable. This is costing us way too much. Mm. And the the way that the resource allocation and other problems are, it's just they're going to bail. So they're going to bail to EOS side chain. So people who've copied EOS and just done it elsewhere. So mm. who knows? Oh, well, let's talk about PIVX. That's one of the big privacy coins that we talked about a lot. Yeah. So PIVX was kind of like our, our first love, I think, mate. Like back in the day, we both really got into PIVX. Oh, no, you, well, you, were, you were a Dogecoin man. That was... Um, Love so Dogecoin. Big, big Dogecoin fan. Um but PIVX was uh, essentially like they, they were promising to be like a Monero, which Monero was forked from Bitcoin back in the day, designed to be a lot more of a um, a private version of Bitcoin, but it ran on proof of work. PIVX ran on uh, this thing called proof of stake, which is what I think Ethereum was just starting to upgrade to that now, actually. But yeah. um, 
but PIVX essentially meant that like you secured the network by having um, your coins kind of locked and having something at stake. So it didn't rely on work. It was meant to be a lot faster, uh, which it was, but they were going to implement all sorts of privacy protocols and zero coin protocols and all sorts of other things to make it really private. Yeah. Now, my thoughts on PIVX were PIVX standard for private instant verified transactions maybe or exchange. By default, it wasn't private. Instant, it definitely was. Verified, it was. And transactions, it was. But private, it wasn't by default. So I didn't realize there were two versions. There was private PIVX. Oh, there's regular PIVX. And there's ZPIV, mm. which was, became the, you know, using zero coin, r- crazy nuts mathematical proof to make it impossible to work out who you sent money to. Mm. Now, my biggest problem with PIVX was that it wasn't just entirely private by default. Yeah, and, and, and look, they had a, a lot of issues, I think, first of all, with the zero coin protocol itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some vulnerabilities that came out with the protocol and it took them quite a long time to get them patched. And I think they're still kind of struggling to get it all to work within the proof of stake model. And they also had a lot of issues with their chains. I think they were hard forking. They hard forked a few times, I'm pretty sure. And there were, there were issues with wallets. And I think it just suffered from, it was, it was a very promising project, but they weren't a huge team. Um, Their value ran up quite high in that bubble, but then crashed very, very hard. Yeah. Uh, after the bubble, and I think they had a hard time retaining a lot of the talent. So we bought into something that was pretty awful. And <laughs> um, now Monero, which I did not buy back then, I thought back then it was an old-fashioned privacy coin. There was nothing too special about Monero. You know, I thought there was alternatives: Zcash, Zcoin, Pivx. But right now, looking at it, I see. Look, in all the marketplaces where privacy coins are used. Monero is on top. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I made a big mistake on Monero and I only got in about a year ago. Mm. But I'm glad I got in now. But I will keep buying Monero when it goes low. Mm. Mm. You know, look, it's a good it's a good bet, mate, for as far as pricing goes. Like, it's got a solid track record. It's stable. Um, personally, I'm... I'm actually like I'm liking what I'm seeing coming out of the Lightning Network. I think that may actually end up being a um, a better privacy solution in the in the long run, just because it's going to yep. use Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the meantime, man, Monero is the gold standard for privacy coins. There's, there's mm-hmm. nothing that nothing that comes close. There are other projects out there. Um, Loki is is one, yep. Yep. Um, which a lot of people say a lot of good things about. Um, uh, I think Cloakcoin have had some issues recently. So oh, I don't that know was still that there. was another mistake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of smaller ones. I mean, it's a tough market, mate. You you you're, you're appealing to a niche of a niche, um, and uh, it's it's pro- it's hard to kind of get the momentum that Monero got because Monero was the first real mover. They've got the biggest team. Um, they got a lot of people contributing. A lot of people with vested interests. So. And then we've got another bunch of coins that we talked about. You know, let's talk about Ripple. <laughs> yeah, we, we've always hated on Ripple and I still hate on Ripple. Um, and it keeps going up. What are your it thoughts? It just keeps going up. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who these people are that buy Ripple. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's quite well known that like there's a lot of sketchy stuff surrounding Ripple and 
like it's 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 not much of a secret, but um, and it's even known that the, the 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 network that the coins on isn't the network that the banks are going to be using. But yeah, I I I don't know what to tell you. I, I I my opinion hasn't changed. Like I think it's a a terrible coin um, as an investment, though. I, I mean. I think we've been proven wrong as far as, you know, we thought it would probably just go to zero, but it just keeps going up. So your best advice, dear listener, best advice is uh, just ignore what we have to say and do the opposite. <laughs> just just stick to Bitcoin. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, is that a phone call coming in? Yeah, man, that is a, we haven't had a phone call in a while. Hang on, I'm going to pick it up. Hello? Oh, Bruce, that matter? Is that Jordan? Jordan, oh, how are you going? Oh, it's a long time no see. I don't know, I've been there. I escaped from Saudi Arabia. I had to get in boats. I had to get in planes. I had to get... Long, complicated story. Long time. How you doing, huh? Yeah, yeah good, mate. Things are good. Um, you know, we've just been doing the show. Just been here waiting for articles. Still haven't gotten anything from you. But um, but look, I mean, I'm just glad you're, you're, you're alive, to be honest, mate. I... We got a little bit scared. Like normally, you call us pretty soon after one of your escapades, but we haven't heard anything in a long time. Oh, probably for the best, huh? Because uh, I just took a paid course on technical analysis, and I, I paid to get into a few, you know, you know, cryptocurrency, you know, secret experts channels. And I actually joined one that was by this guy. I pay him like nine hundred dollars a month. His name is like Dan Dan. ICO something, I can't remember, but he taught me how to predict the future with any given past data. Yeah, that'd, that'd be right. That that sounds like, actually, no, that, that, I've, I've never heard of Dan, I um, don't know who he is, but that sounds, that sounds good, Jordan. Well, look, my own analysis, look, I've been learning technical analysis, I can look at any bit of data I can tell you future, right? My own analysis Coconut coins are in a perfect reversal pattern, right? We saw the bearish double top, you know, a couple of years ago, which almost became a head and shoulders pattern more recently. You know, we're heading towards a bullish rising wedge. So what I'm telling you right now and all your listeners, you know, if you're listening to the thermal show, all I can tell you is this, buy coconut coin is going to go crazy in the next few weeks. Okay, so that's what Dan Dan the ICO man's telling you, or that's your own technical analysis, Jordan? Oh, dude, look, I've been trained. I'm an expert now in technical analysis, so you can take that as fact, huh? You know, just best of luck to you. I mean, we can all win money together, huh? Awesome. Okay, well, I'm going to liquidate all my Bitcoin and buy coconut coin. Thanks for the tip. You know what is, bro. You take care, huh? You too, mate. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, that guy is, he needs to be put under control. Yeah, and uh, like the, the thought of him and Dan in the same course, uh, one teaching the other, I, uh, it's just not really something I want to think about. I feel nauseous. <laughs> oh, I guess we'll, we'll see. Maybe it'll be another ripple. Maybe coconut coins will go up and we'll be proven wrong again. Happy to be wrong. So we're going to wrap it up here for Christmas. We're going to see you back again in January, early January. Uh, we hope you will have a great Christmas break. We'll see you again in 2020, another decade, and we can't wait to share stuff with you then. Yeah, have a brilliant break. Um, and thanks so much for listening. Like We really, really do appreciate it. We're going to take some time off. It's been a, been a big year. So uh, all the very best, festive greetings, Merry Christmas, all the other stuff, um, and stay safe. You can find us at FOMO.show. 
You can jump on our telegram at FOMO.show slash telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, why not leave us a rating in your podcast player and subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Did you hear the intro clip I stuck in, by the way? No, I didn't. Now, I was going to play a Gulag Archipelago clip, but I, I disgui- dis- made the decision that it was a bit too depressing. Do you know, I was listening to episode one the other day. Yeah. And I've lost my English accent. Yeah, you were saying that. And I, I mean, I now you mention it, I can kind of see it. I, I kind of hear it. Yeah, yeah. Like sentences... Where I want some agreement from you, I end with hey. Like, oh, I've lost my English accent, hey. Where it's like a question, but also like a statement. It's just, it's weird. And mm. uh, my vo- voice sounds a little less posh than it used to. And it, it was already less posh when I moved to Australia. So, dude, um, I'm Australian. <laughs> oh, mate, did I tell you I went and saw Dylan Moran last week? No. Oh, dude. Oh, he was uh, just unreal, man. Like exactly oh, like. Oh, that's the Irish guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly wow. like Black Books. Like it was just like him, but he just like got up. He had a. He obviously just had a rough plan of what he was going to talk about, but yeah. just like super smart. Like he's he's got this really interesting like mix of, um, he he acts very unintelligent but talks very intelligently wow. particularly in his humor um, wow. uh, or even talks a bit unintelligently but he's very intelligent in the way he do it. it's hard to hard he to comes explain. across kind of that way it. like he's he's like in the shows that I've seen him in he's always like that drunkard or the bit of a lazy housemate who just sits around and doing whatever but he comes across real switched on but then yeah he'll string these sentences together you know and they will just be like uh, incredibly intelligent, incredibly funny, very, very good with words, has a oh. huge vocabulary. Um, yeah, it was brilliant, man. It was like two, two, two and a half hours of just hilarity. Mate, that sounds great. Are we, sorry, you cut, up, you cut out a little bit then. Are we jumping? Nope, I, I, I literally just cut myself off there because ah. I realised I was making things up. <laughs>